0: Hello, and thanks
1: for joining us here for episode 645 with Dr. Melanie Katzman. Melanie is sharing how you can make a bigger impact by choosing to connect first. So you'll learn one, the trick to a great first impression. Two, the one question to gain better perspective, and three, the listening hack that makes all the difference. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, drop on by job.com slash EP645. And if you haven't already, I encourage you to sign up for the Gold Nugget email list, which provides summary insights from Dr. Melanie Katzman and all the guests who've gone before her and a quick email you can read within just two or three minutes, as well as access to the full vault of all of these Gold Nuggets. Cool stuff at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Melanie's story. Dr. Melanie Katzman is a business psychologist and coach to the world's top public and private companies. Her latest book, Connect First, 52 Simple Ways to Ignite Success, Meaning, and Joy at Work is a number one Wall Street Journal bestseller. Melanie has delivered workshops and keynotes to organizations worldwide for three decades during COVID 19. She is an especially sought after virtual speaker, giving groups the tools for coping with newfound daily stressors, teaching immediately actionable techniques that have meaningful and enduring results. Melanie has been featured in the financial and popular media and has appeared on numerous podcasts and television outlets. Big thanks to Melanie for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free? Now, here's Melanie. Melanie, welcome to the How To Be Awesome At Your Job podcast.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Pete, I'm excited to be here.
1: Well, I'm excited to talk about your wisdom and Connect First, great title, my hat's off to you. Thank you. Could we kick it off by hearing about maybe the most surprising and fascinating discovery you've made in the process of putting together the book, Connect First.
2: Sure, so Pete, I'm a clinical psychologist with decades of experiencing people individually as a therapist. At the same time, I've been a corporate consultant to both startups as well as large multinationals. And one of the things that I found is that no matter where I was working, no matter who I was working with, whether it be in America or other parts of the world, people at their core are all wired the same. We all want to belong. We want to be recognized. We want information. We crave praise. We want to be appreciated. And so in creating Connect First, what I was able to do was pull from the experiences I have as both a therapist, as a consultant, and put that all together in a way that I hope communicates to everybody that we need to connect first through our common humanity and the surprise, the delight in, this, in the book and in the book tour has been that people really resonate with that message. It just makes sense. It's what people experience. And particularly now during a pandemic, it's what people crave, that human connection. So it's a delightful surprise that wasn't a full surprise because it's exactly why I wrote the book.
1: Okay. So we talk about connecting first, maybe. What's the alternative? What do people do first if, if not connect? That's problematic.
2: So many people at work are so focused on being transactional, getting the job done, that they forget that the thing that you have to do first is to establish a relationship with people. You need to slow down to speed up. If you don't develop trust, then you can't actually ask people to push, to prod, to innovate, to take chances, to deal with conflict. And Too often, people show up at the office and just feel like, oh, if someone's being paid, they need to do it. And if I ask and I'm the boss, it should happen, versus I need to actually demonstrate and establish respect and trust. Similarly, people will say, oh, we have an inclusion program. And somehow, because we have a program or a poster that Mm. will somehow translate into people really feeling as if they have a seat at the table. And as we know, it's a lot more complicated
1: than that. Okay. So boy, that, that the word should there really perked my ears up yeah. in, in terms of it's, it's sort of like we have these, these expectations or assumptions about how the world ought to operate. And if yours is that people should do awesome, innovative, stretch, <laughs> extraordinary work because they're getting a, a paycheck, you're saying that worldview is not accurate to reality. I
2: just think that, you know, what we know, what science shows us, and I think many of our experiences demonstrate, is that people do better work when they are internally, intrinsically motivated. That money makes a difference to a point, but actually to get passion. You know, we talk about we want passionate, purpose-driven people on our team. Well, passion is hot. It's not cognitive, right? So I can think I want to do a good job, but I'm going to be really driven and passionate about doing a job because I care. That caring comes from an emotional connection to the work and to the people I'm working with. And that requires the human connection.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think people ask me, so Pete, how do you be awesome at your job? Just like at a at a party or something like, well, for like 600 interviews, how do I uh, distill it? But but I think- And how do you distill it? What do you <laughs> I'm say? St- I'm still figuring out. But it's like, okay, can I give you five things? One of them's caring.
2: <laughs> right. Well, you could just say like, be a human. I mean, it sounds mm-hmm. ridiculous, but people show up at work and they feel like they should be an automatron and they should just, you know, churn it out, versus I'm really gonna be thoughtful about how I approach my requests, how I deliver my work, the words I choose and who I choose to say them to and with
1: hmm That's beautiful. Okay. Well, so then you describe 52 separate <laughs> actions in your book, yeah. uh, which is a bundle. I love it. And that's organized into seven main themes. Could you, maybe, give us the rundown, 30 seconds to a minute on each of the seven themes? What are they?
2: Sure. And they actually build on each other. So when I first decided to write this book, people were like, wait, so this is like a mismanners for business? And I'm like, no, 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 no. We'll start with the basics, right, so the beginning of the book is all about establishing trust right? just getting the basics right that's saying please and thank you, making eye contact like the first chapter in the book is smiling like I smile at you, you smile back
1: smiling is my favorite
2: <laughs> right, and even behind your microphone, I can see you're smiling right and it's actually one of the problems we have now with masks you can 't see the smile, but the smile is really you know it just gets us going as people so that first chapter is smiling. Then I go on to review other basics, all the things we know we should do, but we forget to do, right? That's the thank yous, the pleases. Then from there, it's use your senses. See everybody, not just the people who you think are important, not the people who you think have influence or the buddies, the ones who look like you, you're comfortable with. See truly everybody. Listen don't just try to hear, to reload so that you can make your point louder or more definitively, but actually listen. Mm-hmm. Eat with other people. I mean, it's the breaking bread, old time ritual of really a way of, of getting to know someone. So I talk about the importance of using your senses, seeing, hearing, eating, really quieting yourself and your internal dialogue to know what's happening around you. Then be popular. like, And I use that kind of, purposely, provocatively, be the person people want to be with, right? So come bearing conversational gifts, help the people that you're with be smarter because they've been with you, right? And because you're willing to share. And then we want to clear conflict. And how do you clear conflict? It's really having the confidence to say no to certain things, to say yes to others, to give feedback as a gift, to really be unafraid in entering some of those scary conversations, right? Mm -hmm. And then It's really about being inclusive and casting a wide net. And I even have chapters about how to be a good host, which people say, that's funny. This is a job. People are coming into my office. I'm like, no, no, no. You need to be responsible for the curation, for the comfort you create. And then we want to face the future unafraid. And that's really, if you have established respect, if you are seeing beyond your immediate box, if you are unafraid in tackling difficulty conversations, then you can really collaborate with multiple stakeholders, bring lots of voices into the room, ask questions that don't have answers, and be unafraid of what bubbles up. And so I really then talk to people about honoring history. At the same time that you're looking towards the future, embracing aging, embracing difference, and ultimately the book ends with a dream, dream big. So we start with a smile, we end with a dream. Start with the basics and then end with all of the ways in which you can apply these 52 suggestions so that you can build a a different world, build a different culture at your company and feel better at your job, which is why I dared to have joy in the title because a lot of people are like, Mm -hmm. joy at work? That's an oxymoron. I'm like, nope. You get the positive results when you have joyful people pursuing meaningful work and that
1: creates a success. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Okay. So we have seven themes and they're they're sort of stair stepping up, starting with established respect, engage the senses, become popular, grow the loyalty, resolve conflicts, fight fear, have a big impact. We start with a smile, we end with a dream. Awesome. So now within these seven themes, You got 52 actions, which is a lot of actions. So, we love the 80/20 principle here on how to be awesome at your job. (laughs) So, could you zero in on on a couple? I don't know, two, three, five? Sure. That just have just a disproportionate impact on making great connections. Maybe they're they're high impact, they're easy to do, they're often overlooked. What are sort of like the bullseye actions that make all the difference?
2: And by the way, you know, I mean, you raise the fact that it's 52 and that can seem really daunting. But one of the things I encourage people to do when they get the book is to read it in the way that suits you. It's written for the attention deprived executive or worker so that you can dip in, get the information you need for the moment that you're in. Right. So, Uh in the middle of a conflict, you're going, What do I need to do? Or this person seems like someone I can't relate to. Let me pull these few chapters. You can kind of go in and get what you need when you need it. But on the other hand, you can also read the book as a year long exercise in personal development so that you can do a chapter a week. Now, in terms of a couple of my favorites, like one of my absolute favorites is got it. And those are two words that change the whole demeanor of work. So I'm sure you've been in this situation. Many of my clients have been, I have been where you shoot off an email request and you don't know if it lands, where'd it go? I asked for some information. I needed to be able to enact whatever transaction I'm doing, the, the deal I'm trying to close, the work I'm trying to complete. And I don't know whether someone is working on it. They've, I've been spammed, I'm not important. And whether you are the boss or you are the underling, when somebody doesn't respond to your request, you don't know how to take the next step. And we all wanna manage our own time, but yeah. if you don't know when the response is coming or if it's coming, then you can't deal with your own timing, which is an incredible disempowerment. And it's an experience of disrespect. So I encourage people to say, got it. And for extra credit, got it? Your answer is coming in 10 minutes or it's going to take me some time to pull the numbers together. I'll get back to you tonight. Or got it? I'm working on X. Should I reprioritize to work on Y? Because this is an important request. So I encourage people to use those two words.
1: Or even got it. I'm afraid I'm not going to be the, the person who can help you with this. Exactly. So that still helps them with their timelines and what to do next.
2: Advance the ball, right? Say mm-hmm. got it. So then you, you know, right? The other. Really, super simple. Call people by their name. Like, it is a neural hack. People snap to attention when they hear their name. And too often, we don't call people by their name or working in diverse organizations. People make up a name that's easy for them to remember or pronounce.
1: Champ, <laughs> it's just a sport.
2: Right? And it's like, it happens all the time, but it's like, It's so easy. If I address you by your name, you feel like we already have a connection. And if I can't remember your name, but I remember your face, I can say, hey, Pete, I remember like a few years ago. Hey, guy, I don't remember your name, but we had such a good conversation. Remember, we were standing at the coffee area at the conference looking at X, and then you go, okay she cares enough. Mm -hmm. Remember your name. You know, so there's all sorts of tricks to that, to like asking people the history of their name. It's a quick way to understand someone's background. So sounds simple, but like, say, got it, call people by their name, right? Mm -hmm. Moving along the line. Another thing I would say is ask a beautiful question. Come prepared to ask a great question. It honors the person. So when you do interviews for potential candidates, if someone asks you a question that could be answered on the website, what if yeah. you learned? You've learned that they're lazy, right? If somebody comes and they have already done the research to ask you a question that reflects what they and how they think, they are going to impress you and then you can also answer them in a way that can engage them. And so a lot of different suggestions within the book have to do with, bringing what I call conversational gifts, doing your research so that you're showing up ready to have a good conversation and preparing a good question doesn't take a lot of time, but does make a huge difference.
1: So a beautiful question. So, so the, how that gets formulated, one is that you've done your homework and your research as opposed to, right. you know, a lazy question that's readily available in press releases or website. Right. Another is that you've you've done some real good thinking Any more ingredients or steps or pro tips for formulating a a beautiful question or maybe some examples?
2: So I will work with people who are high potentials, who are being coached at their company's request by me. And that's one set of engagements I have. The other is that well, people will be coming to me when they're wanting to transition to another role or they have lost their job and they're looking to repackage themselves or enter the workforce. And so what I will say to people is if you're going for an, the classic informational interview, right, so you got a mm-hmm. foot in the door. So do the research on who you're meeting with and what their their place is in the market. What are the questions they might be asking themselves and what is information that you have that connects the dots in ways that they may not have thought about before. So for example, I'm going for an interview at a production company and they make educational films about climate change. So I'm going to show up and I can either say, so tell me who are your funders or are you tackling this topic or that topic? Or I might want to say, hey, you know, I've noticed that there's a tremendous increase in demand for school age programming. But there's an absence of quality product out there. For example, so and so is doing such and such, so and so is doing such and such. But actually, your sweet spot seems to be the creation of these kinds of products, and you haven't looked at the school market yet. What would you think about doing that? You could tackle this kind of climate question in this kind of way, educate people, fulfill your mission, but also answer some an area in the market that's underserved. So Mm -hmm. you're coming in and you've done some strategic thinking. You've analyze the marketplace, you've looked at what they provide, and you're offering an opinion. Now, some people will say to me, I should be paid before I offer Mm. up that perspective. And I would say, you want to get a job that you're going to be paid well? Demonstrate that you're worth it. Come and be generous in your thinking and in your willingness to share your
1: thinking. Mm -hmm. And, and And if you already have the job, I mean... Yeah. I mean, you can do that all the time with regard to the meetings and and having uh, researched some things and noticed some things that maybe other people haven't. Well, I just love that so much because I think about being on the receiving end of those questions in terms of, I've actually never heard of that organization you're citing. I was unaware of that trend (laughs) that you're pointing out. (laughs) Exactly. You seem brilliant and I want you uh, close by so I don't overlook something really important. (laughs)
2: But but that's exactly it. I mean, you can't go wrong if you help people feel, be smarter. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the other part of that is when you're networking, both internally networking or externally, because oftentimes when people are coming up for promotion or want to be coming up for promotion. It's important to do some victory laps around the organization, talk to people, have them get to know you. I think some of the great questions to ask are, you know, you go to someone who you admire in the organization, say, how do you get your information? What are the things that you read Mm -hmm. on your commute? How are you spending your time getting information? Yeah. Everyone likes to talk about themselves. And most people like to stop and think about, you know, how do I do that? And if I want to have the strategic capability of someone who's very senior in my organization, I want to know what they're inputting into their internal computer. So I'm getting access to some of that good data.
1: Oh, that's so good. Well, what's so funny is like there's often blogs that you may have never even heard of that that really have so much good stuff. Like, I think there's like one about law, like above the law, or, or one about uh, accounting that's kind of edgy. Yep. It is sort of like, oh, I've never heard of that. And and, and I think maybe, maybe, I don't know, a quarter or so of the people in the field may have, or it's like, oh, yeah, I've heard about that, but is that really worth looking at? And it's like, oh, well, this super smart person is there all the time. So apparently it is. Now I know. Yep. And that's valuable right there just to get that curation step.
2: Absolutely. I mean, what I do. In non-pandemic times, one of the things I do is I lead leadership retreats in different parts of the world where I bring people together from very different backgrounds to, and very different nationalities and sectors to understand particular issues of a moment. And we will invariably end up in traffic, right? Because Mm -hmm. you can't, it's just part of the job. And one of the things that we'll do is just, I'll say, hey, what's the top five things that are coming up in each of your Twitter feeds? And where's it coming from? And it's fascinating. You, know, you have people there that are Chinese entrepreneurs and French politicians and Brazilian businessmen and women and a tech exec from California. And what they're listening to or reading is so profoundly different. And at a time when we know that we can end up in our own reverberating echo chambers, understanding what different people are accessing is so informative. So it's a just it's a really fun, great
1: question. Well, that is, that is beautiful. And I want to hit a, a particular action you highlight, which is to listen to inspire. How do I do that?
2: Well, one of the first things is, as I was saying earlier on, like to really listen, right? So too often, I think we listen to reload, right? So I know what I want to tell you. So I'm just busy formulating in my head my response versus I'm listening to you to understand what you want me to really hear. And I think a mistaken impression often is that we need to demonstrate empathy. That if I'm listening to someone and I'm a good listener, I'm having an empathetic response. So I'm searching my autobiographical library for something I can say to show Pete that I can relate. While I'm doing that, I'm not listening to what Pete's really saying. So rather than focusing on me and what I'm gonna do when you stop talking, I need to quiet down inside and actually listen to what you're saying, show that I'm paying attention if you're in any kind of visual contact. I think the challenge is to keep your mouth closed and to show interest without using your words. And it's an exercise I do with people when I am running programs because it's super hard to listen without speaking. And yet it's very impactful when someone listens to you without speaking and brings you in by their head nods, by their eye contact, by their smiles, by their hand motions. And an interesting point from my experience has been that when I do encourage teams to have conversations where someone is speaking and nobody's interrupting for over five minutes, imagine over five, it seems like it's endless. The first minute, People are talking, it feels really good to be listened to. The second minute, the other person's just like listening and shaking their head, but not saying anything, feels awkward. The third minute, someone the person who's speaking speaks more and adds more detail. Fourth minute might feel a little awkward. By the fifth minute, they have revealed something they were never planning on revealing. Mm -hmm. And so five minutes of uninterrupted attention will generally get a much deeper, fuller expression of what's going on. And it's a little investment for a huge impact. So to listen to inspire, shut up, shut Mm -hmm. up inside and shut up outside. Just listen and absorb and demonstrate your engagement.
1: Okay. Well, Melanie, tell me anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Okay.
2: I think one of the things I just want to mention is that we are having this interview during a pandemic. And as a psychologist working in business, I am so struck by the difficulties that people are having and that we need to take this seriously. Like there's a pandemic right now that's related to a virus, but there is a tsunami of mental health crisis that is just going to pound us. If we don't take measures now to help people set clear boundaries between work and home, between the beginning and the end of the day. We need to listen carefully to the distress signals that people are sending up so much more subtly than others. A lot of my work these days has been in delivering webinars for companies in lieu of the in-person talks and keynotes I usually do, helping provide a safe place for people to talk about the ways in which they can communicate better when they're working from home and ways that they can establish the human personal connection at work in the absence of physical interaction. So I think we are physically distanced and psychologically and socially desperate for connection and companies need to work hard to answer that need. And so my big message is to whoever's listening, really stop, listen deeply, pay attention and put some effort into helping these connections unfold because if you don't, I think you're really going to end up with a, a very exhausted and debilitated workforce.
1: Okay, thank you. And now could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
2: <laughs> well, I think one of my favorite quotes, maybe it's part of the reason why I wrote a book that has lots of steps, is it's a Chinese philosophical quote. that A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. All right, thank you. You got to start moving to make things happen. And okay. it just be a little step.
1: And a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research?
2: I love to look at neurobiology as a way of inspiring us in the office and in the workplace. And one of the studies I think is really important is it's an fMRI study that shows you how your body heats up in reaction to different emotions. And there's research that shows us that love and anger physiologically look very much the same. We kind of light up red if you look at these fMRI and. It's important because they are emotions of approach. So I don't know if I want to hug you or I want to belt you, but either way, I'm having a lot of reaction to you. And I think in the workplace, we often forget that when someone's really worked up about something and they seem pissed off and angry and even difficult, it may be because they're the person who cares so deeply.
1: That's really true.
2: (laughs) I love that piece of data because it really affirms what I see, right? The problem child that I'm called into to coach is often the person who's just caring so much.
1: That's so true. Like I don't get, I don't get upset about things I don't care about. Right. It, it happens in work frequently. It's like I, it'd be easier if I just didn't care.
2: Exactly. But <laughs> I mean, sometimes I have to coach people yeah. don't care so much, yeah. right? And so. I just think it's it's an important factor for us to consider that the person who cares so much may be sometimes the individual on your team who can seem the most difficult and most challenging. So we want to value that passion and help the passionate individual channel that energy into the most effective way.
1: Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite book? There's a
2: classic called Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy, which is actually The new book was written in 1970 something, but I really like it because it's about how do we change the things that we can change, control the things we can control and learn how to focus on those particularly at times when we're feeling out of control, depressed, or helpless. And what we find is, you know, my favorite psychologist or consultant joke mm. is how many <laughs> consultants does it take to change a light
1: bulb? Oh, I think I know this one. Oh, I knew a therapist. I don't know about consultants. Yeah,
2: well, I, I'm a therapist and a consultant oh, it's like well, okay. between the two, well, which is the answer. I'm not going to give you the
1: punchline. Take it away, oh, Melanie. Okay. Take it away. Right.
2: The light bulb has to want to change itself, <laughs> right? And so, you know, Ultimately, the power is with us. We need to be able to change ourselves. And sometimes it's changing our actions. Sometimes it's changing the way we think. And so my answer to your question, given the times we're living in, is that there are some things that we can change and there are some things we can't, but to be able to survive and thrive during this period, we need to change the way we think or perceive or assess things in the moment.
1: All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool?
2: my paper and pencil. All right. I have all sorts of electronics that help facilitate my work, but I find that having a daily list that I write down helps me track and prioritize what I'm going to do. And it feels great crossing it off versus just hitting delete. So I like a paper and pencil.
1: Okay. And tell me, is there a particular nugget you share that you're known for? People quote it back to you frequently or a Kindle book highlighted all the time?
2: Well, I think it, oftentimes it has to do with a lot of what we've been talking about, which is you have to slow down to move fast. That the investment in making a strong connection is really a very small one in terms of time. But if you're intentional with your actions, you'll have a very big impact. So small acts of human kindness have huge and rewarding impact.
1: Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them?
2: Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, at Melanie Katzman, M-E-L-A-N-I-E-K-A-T-Z-M-A-N. And on all of these different social media platforms, almost every week, I put out a minute of advice. So you can grab a minute with Melanie, and it's just very topical, practical advice that helps you just be better in that day and hopefully in that week.
1: All right. And do a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: Yeah, it's up to you. It doesn't matter whether you are in a cubicle, whether you are working out of a closet right now, or whether you're occupying a corner office, that it's up to you and how you behave. And that will change and impact the culture of everybody around you. And that if you want to have joy and meaning at work, you make it happen by what you do and how you do it and how you do it with people who you might not even think to include but probably should and could and will benefit by doing it.
1: All right, Melanie, this has been a treat. Thank you. I wish you lots of luck in all of your connecting.
2: Thank you so much. And it's great to be connected to you. And uh, thanks for a great interview.
1: I love Melanie's suggestion about calling people by their name because... Well, on the one hand, it sounds kind of easy to do, but it's also easy not to do because there can just be that little bit of resistance like, I'm pretty sure I know your name, but am I pronouncing it correctly? And I'd be scared if I accidentally called you the wrong name. I don't know if you experienced that, just that little bit of internal psychological resistance, but you're probably fine. And if you're worried about it, hey, clarify in advance so then you can confidently go there. So a great tip, one of many. Hope you dug that and more from Dr. Melanie Katzman, again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP645. Hope to
0: catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice.